You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries and thrillers. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 173. In this episode of the podcast, I had the great thrill, pun intended, to interview one of my all-time favorite writers, uh, Lee Child. He's the uh, number one New York Times bestselling author of the iconic Jack Reacher thrillers. And I was honored to uh, not only welcome Lee, but also his uh, co-author and brother, Andrew Child, to talk everything Jack Reacher and about the 26th Reacher novel, Better Off Dead, which will be published today, October 26, 2021. I received an advanced copy. You guys are going to love it. Uh, so make sure to go and uh, get your copy of Better Off Dead if you haven't uh, pre-ordered it. Like I said, it's available today, October 26. Not only did we talk about all that, but we also talked about what it's like for two brothers working together, what it was like for Andrew, who was writing his own thrillers to step into the iconic Jack Reacher world, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned uh, for that interview uh, coming right up. But first, a quick word about the online courses offered by Masterclass. As a fan of thrillers and mystery books and a thriller writer myself, I was delighted to find courses from best-selling thriller authors James Patterson, David Baldacci, Walter Mosley, and Dan Brown on Masterclass. As a reader, it's a fun to see how these amazing writers do what they do so well. And as a writer, I learned a lot and was inspired by taking their courses. So I highly recommend uh, you go uh, check it out at thrillingreads.com forward slash masterclass. Uh, not only will you get access to all these fantastic online training uh, courses, but you'll also be supporting the podcast. So I appreciate that. So go check that out at thrillerauthors.com forward slash masterclass. And for more info on this show and rate the, and review this podcast, uh, check out all my links over at thrillingreads.com forward slash links. All right, here is my interview with Lee Child and Andrew Child. Hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on the podcast today, I have uh, Lee Child and Andrew Child. Uh, Lee Child is the author of uh, 25 New York Times bestselling Jack Reacher thrillers. And Andrew Child, who also writes as Andrew Grant, is the author of Run, False Positive, and Too Close to Home. Their new book together, Better Off Dead, is the 26th Jack Reacher book, which will be published on October 26th. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's like great to great to have you both here. Yeah, so the 26th uh, Reacher book, uh, that's amazing, Lee. Did you realize that the series could last a while when you first started, or is this like beyond anything you ever dreamed? Well, you know, it's a great choice of word, that dream, uh, because of course you dream it. Yeah, you know, you write your first book and you think, great, this could run for 50 books. This could be everything now forever. And so, of course, it's a dream, and I thought about it. The, um, you know, the real question is, did I expect it? And the answer to that, of course, is no. You know, if you expect um, to start a series and, and have it run, uh, you know, we're at 26 full-length novels now and um, a full-length uh, volume of short stories. If you were to say, yeah, I'm doing my first book and it's going to run for, for 26 novels, at least probably 30, maybe 40, people are just assume you're crazy because, of course, the odds are totally against it. But um, in terms of dreaming, yeah, you know, it's like that. After the Super Bowl, you know, when the touchline commentator gets hold of the the kid who has just scored the winning touchdown. And he says, did you ever dream you would score the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl? And the kid says, no, no, it's a dream come true. Of course he's dreamed he would. He's, he's, he's scored that touchdown a thousand times in his backyard. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was there as a theoretical target. But did I think it would be achieved? Not really. I think we lost uh, we lost Andrew, so but uh, I'll I, I could edit him back in when. Uh... And Lee, something that's so fascinating to me is that uh, I read in your interviews, of course, because uh, I've been a big fan of 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 your books uh, for a long time, that you started to write because you were fired from your from your corporate job, and writing is such a tough profession anyway. Uh, what made you think to uh, to that you were going to give it a shot? Is that something that you always dreamed that you wanted to be a writer, a fiction writer? <laughs> I was always a huge reader and that, you know, that is the key here that nobody becomes a writer unless they're a reader first, uh, you know, really long-term tens of thousands of books over your life so far, then maybe you're ready to become a, a writer. 
Um, and I had been a reader without any thought of ever being a, a writer at all. I just, I was real happy reading other people's stuff. Uh, but I was working in television and, um, and I got fired, not because of any like personal misdemeanor or anything, just corporate restructuring, you know, that downsizing thing that happened a lot in the uh, early and mid 1990s. So it really became a question of, of what next? I'd been a, uh, a union organizer in the TV business, and um, that effectively meant that I was never going to get another job um, in the uh, in, in the TV business again. I was effectively blacklisted. So it was a question of uh, what else? And I just had that idea of I've read all these books. I, I've lived in the world of books as a reader, and I have the kind of personality that is if I'm if I've really enjoyed something, I want to do it as well, um, you know. And a, a lot of that is uh, impossible, you know. I love watching the New York Yankees, but uh, I'm not going to play center field for the Yankees. <laughs> a lot of these things are fruitless dreams, but I figured that, yeah, you know, I could I could try to write a book. It was about all that was available to me, and the what you said earlier about you know it's a tough business. Uh, it's not as tough as television, that's for sure. I figured if I survived television, I could I could survive anything. And that has actually been the biggest pleasure for me, that uh, the world of books, the world of writers, readers, and publishers, and booksellers, and book bloggers, people like you who run uh, podcasts around the, the issue of books and, and their writers, they're just the nicest people. It is the last place you will find really, really nice people. And that has been a, a great pleasure. And it has made it really pretty trouble-free. I mean, there's nothing like what you get in television. Hunter Thompson has a great quote about, about television. He says, television is a blood-soaked money trench where pimps and thieves run free and good men go to die. Then he added, and there is a negative side. <laughs> so, you know, that was the world I was coming out of. And um, so the toughness of the writing job didn't appear at all to be a thing. You know, it was a lovely job. It was an easy job. And um, it was surrounded by, by nice people. The only unknown in publishing is, is what you generate going to be of interest to a lot of other people? That's this only question, and there's no way of, of rigging that question. You can't hack that question. It's either yes or no. It, it, what you produce, I mean, literally what you produce is always going to be interesting to some people. Uh, you, could, you could write anything about anything, and you're going to find a couple of hundred people who really love it. The question is, can you expand that couple of hundred to a couple of million? And that is in the lap of the gods. That is completely unpredictable, and there's no way of knowing that. And was uh, was was Jack Reacher was Killing Floor? Was that your first attempt to uh, writing a, a a novel? Absolutely. The first line of that book is the first fiction I ever wrote. And, wow. Uh, it was, uh, but it was a different. It was a particular circumstance. You know, as you pointed out, I'd, I'd been fired from my job. This had to work. This was not a thing about uh, I would kind of kind of like to do it or try my hand at it or let's see how it goes. There was none of that. It had to work. Otherwise, I was going to starve. And so the question then is, uh, is that a benefit? And, and looking back on it, I think absolutely, yeah. You know, I had no childhood ambition to be a writer. I, 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 I didn't even conceive of that. I didn't know what a writer was, really. I knew nothing about the, the culture of, of writing. Um, so it was not that I wanted to be a writer. It was that I wanted to keep a roof over my head and keep some food on the table. And that absolute concentration on the end result, it was 100% about the end result. None of it was about this alleged glamour of being a writer. Uh, it was about getting the product to the market and, and hoping that it, it, it worked. And looking back on it, for me anyway, that's, it worked great. I, I would not have done it, I think, if, 
if I'd had the day job continuing, I would not have done it like a lot of other people do it as a kind of hobby and or let's do it in parallel with the day job. Let's see if it works. I needed that 110% panic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was this or starve. And so when people ask me for advice about being a writer, I say, quit your job and give all your money away. <laughs> then you'll concentrate. <laughs> yeah, it's a desperation, right? Nothing to fall back on. <laughs> and uh, and Andrew, I, I, I was doing, when I was doing a, re, uh, a research on you guys, uh, you were one of the first reader, uh, reacher readers when uh, Lee first wrote The Killing Floor. Is that the, correct? Yeah, I mean, the boot was very much on the other foot in those days because I had... Um, I had a pretty decent job working for a telecommunications company in England and, uh, you know, Lee was out of work, like he was saying. So, um, you know, he, he came up with this idea to write a book to, to pay his bills, which, you know, is a super high risk strategy. And then he, uh, he knew that I was the one in the family who read the most thrillers. So he sent me the early manuscript, you know, still written in pencil, just to get a kind of second opinion as to whether he was wasting his time. And I remember I've never been as frightened reading a book as I was reading that one, because first of all, if it had been no good, I was going to be the one who's going to have to call my big brother and say, sorry, mate, your book is no good. I mean, who wants to do that? But on top of that, you know, this is what he needed to, uh, to keep the roof over his head and the food on his table. So I was thinking, well, if it is terrible, not only do I have to tell him, but I'm probably going to have to send him food parcels or you know, <laughs> let him come and live in the corner of my living room or something. You know, I, uh, I was really worried about it. But, you know, of course, um, as it turned out, it was a magnificent book and I needn't have worried. But uh, it was. Uh, yeah. I, I, so I was the. I guess you could say I'm the I'm the oldest Reacher fan in the world. So uh, you know it's been a, it's been an interesting ride with with Jack from those days right through to today. And I'm kind of curious now too now because uh, you both were writing your own books separately, and now you're working as a team. How has that whole collaboration process been? Has it been what you expected? Is better, worse? It's been uh, <laughs> different from what we thought it was going to be because of this the uh, COVID thing. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you know when we. When we started out, it was prior to the pandemic. Uh, you know, that's when we got the idea. And I think that both of us imagined, you know, we'd be kicking around in the same office, uh, you know, with the sitting nose to nose across a desk with a coffee machine running, and we would sort of thrash it out and do it that way. But then the pandemic started and we tried to be responsible citizens like everybody else, and we took it seriously. We isolated. And even though we live relatively close to each other, it meant that we were still working remotely. And so in a way, for me, that was actually really beneficial because what it took out of the process was the potential to pre-explain stuff. I mean, I could quite picture myself saying to Andrew, you know, we're sitting there at the desk, we've got our coffee going. I could quite imagine saying to him, yeah, for this next bit, I wanted to try and introduce this flavor of menace. And so I did this and I did that. And here's the paragraph. And by that point, he has preconceptions. Uh, I've explained what I was trying to do. Therefore, he might well see it and say, yeah, that's fine. But doing it remotely, we had nothing except the words going back and forth. In, in emails. And so I would not have the opportunity to pre-explain it and to butter him up into seeing it how I, I thought it was. It was just words. And therefore, it was much easier to know, do these words work or do they not? It was obvious. Without all the explanation and persuasion around it, it was a much more direct process and it was much more clinical in the sense that, yeah, all the reader is ever going to see are these words. So why don't we as writers see those words too and nothing else? And I, I think it worked really well. And maybe even after the pandemic is a memory, maybe we should continue doing that because there is a purity to it. 
Yeah, well, yeah, two two books now uh, under this uh, new pandemic times, right? <laughs> Working together, probably the first five at this rate. <laughs> yeah, the way, yeah. Unfortunately, the way it's going, it's not looking like it's going to go back to the way it used to be anytime soon. No, yeah. no I don't think so. But you know, this method Lee was talking about was great because it meant that we were each the first reader for the other person's stuff, you know. And then you had that genuine. Not only did you not go into it with a preconception because of anything the other person had prefaced it with, but you also uh, had the same re- response as a reader. You know, you you would go through it, and then at the end of it, hopefully, you know, you were buzzing for more, and you wanted to know what happened next. But you know, maybe you didn't. Maybe it was a slog to get through that bit. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it needed tightening or explain. You know, so so the reactions that we we got, I think, are much more authentic and much more reliable as uh, as a result. And then also, um, uh, I was kind of curious too, uh, Leah, about your de- your decision to start. You know, I mean, you've created a, such an iconic character and a hostile name, Jack Reacher, when you started thinking about stepping uh, away from from that, uh, what was your, your thought process and and how when, when did you think that you might ask Andrew to, to, to come on board? How did that work out? Well, the fact that Reacher had established himself as uh, a, a popular character, and there is a moment, you know, first of all, he's, he's just known to me only when I'm writing it. And then you know the early readers and the and the core audience at the beginning, a few thousand people, then a few tens of thousands of people. There's, you hit a point that's, and I think for me it was eight years in, something like that. You could even say ten years in, where the character suddenly blooms and suddenly migrates outward. Uh, he is no longer just on the page. He's a figment of millions of people's imagination. He becomes the kind of touchstone that is independent of anything else. And I love collecting all the references to Reacher around the world. And uh, there's a great one in the, the official parliamentary record of the New Zealand Parliament uh, Reach's beliefs were brought up in a, in a parliamentary debate about something, you know, and they're, they're there now for all of history. The migration of the character outward is delightful to watch, but it also meant that uh, I completely concede, you know, after 10 years or 15 years, Reacher was not owned by me any longer. Reacher was an independent entity out there, owned and created by millions of readers which I felt inside gave me space for the decision that I ultimately took, which was to step back and ask Andrew to do it because the character was floating free at that point. The character was not necessarily tied to me as an individual. He was an independent person. And that made it easier, I think, for another writer to step in in the shadows, essentially, because we are in the shadows, according to what the reader thinks, the reader doesn't care about me or about Andrew or about anybody. The reader cares about the character to the point where it can become an obsession. Uh, I heard a lovely story about the guy who does the official bookkeeping at my literary agency. You know, he's a crusty old uh, accountant who has, he, he has to prepare the books for audit by the tax people. And that's his job. And he was in an airport one time buying a book. And the queue at the register, the woman in front of him had the new Reacher book. And he couldn't help himself. He said, uh, you know, I work for the the agency that represents that author. And this old lady said, what author? And Peter said, well, Lee Child, the agency I work for represents him. We're his agents. And she said, who's Lee Child? And Peter said, well, he, he writes those books. And she said, no, 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 these, these are Jack Reacher books. And he said, yeah, but Lee Child writes them. And she said, what? You mean like Jack tells him the story and then he writes it down? Now, you know, that is an extreme example, but that is how people feel. So there was space for Andrew to step in because the character is divorced from me by now. And I wanted him to do that because... As a reader myself, you know, dozens of times in your life, you'll you'll be into a series and you'll notice that it falls off in quality after a while. You know, lots of series are great for the first six to eight books or whatever, sometimes even 10. 
But then the author gets old and tired. I, I could feel it in myself that maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but soon I would be phoning it in because I'm just running out of gas. That was a sad day because I thought, yeah, I've got to I've got to honor that promise I made. I'll never phone it in. So this is the end of the series. But I was really sad because, you know, Reacher has given a lot of people a lot of fun. He's a part of people's lives. And I was sad for them. And so I started fantasizing about, could I take a magic potion? You know, maybe I could even make one myself, mix up some amphetamine and Viagra and weed or whatever it needs. And, and suddenly I'll wake up. 15 years younger, full of vigor and energy and ideas again. But, you know, that's only a daydream. But then I thought, wait a minute, I actually know somebody who is pretty much like me 15 years ago, full of energy and creativity and ideas. So that's when I got the idea of, of asking Andrew to do it. But it all depended on the fact that, yeah, Reacher is not mine. It, he's not Andrew's. He just is. He exists. And we have to deal with him so, the same as all the readers do. And Andrew, any hesitation on your point? I mean, you're writing your own thrillers and all of a sudden you're asked to step into this iconic character or any hesitation? On yeah. Your part? I mean, it was a, it, and it was completely out of the blue. I hadn't seen it coming. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there were, you know, my head was full of, full of questions, but, you know, something that Lee was saying there about the, you know, that bond between Reacher and the readers, you know, over the years, I've been to lots and lots of, of Lee's events, you know, when, when in the old days, when you could do them in person, <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've been to dozens and dozens of those. And, you know, I remember in the, uh, maybe, maybe after say, maybe it was around about the third book, um, for the first time, people started asking things like, well, how long is this series going to run? So he would he would always you know try to answer that question, and then a couple more books into the series, it would be well, how's it going to end? And at this point, when there were four or five books, you know, Lee would always say, well, you know, I, I envisage at some point Reacher will bleed to death on the grimy floor of a lonely roadside motel, and I, I, you know, I'd watch people's reactions in the audience, and when it seemed like this remote possibility, because he probably said he was going to write twenty one books or something at that point and they're thinking oh well there's still 15 16 left you know you could see they weren't too worried about it but over the years you know the the questions kept coming and the answer was always the same and as it got to like 19 books 20 books you could i could feel the kind of palpable panic spreading throughout the audience at those events when he talked about reacher dying so um you know it wasn't even really a theoretical thing that there might be not only might reach an end, but there would be um, a reaction to that. There would be repercussions from that because I'd seen it and I'd felt it in the crowd at those events. So um, that was really the main thing running through my head was that if I didn't do it, then there would be no more Reacher. And um, personally, I didn't want that because, you know, I've been reading them since the very beginning and loving them. And I know what it's like every year to be looking forward to the next installment. I didn't want that to, to, to go away. And I certainly didn't want it to be my fault that it would go away because I remember the look on, on, on everybody's faces at those crowds when they the idea of Reacher dying kind of hit them. So, you know, I felt, you know, in the same way that, you know, if Reacher is faced with a situation where he knows what is the right thing, he feels obliged to do it. I kind of felt the same thing, you know. It was this was it was the right thing to do. So I was sad to um, have to move the stuff I was working on at the time to the back burner because I was really enjoying it. It was it was it was really fun to do. So I, and I felt a little bad about that, but at the same time, I really felt the you know the obligation to uh, to keep Reacher alive and kicking on the page because um, you know he really is a separate entity to us over the years. Time after time, we'd be hanging out, doing something, watching a, watching a football game or going to a museum, whatever it is we might be doing. And something would inevitably crop up where we would say, oh, well, what would Reacher do about this? What would Reacher think about that? You know, so he really existed almost like an extra imaginary brother. You know, he was kind of there in the room with us all the time. So we, that probably makes us sound like, uh, you know, like perhaps we, 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 you know, we need some kind of specialized attention. But, you know, that really was the way that, uh, that, we, that we felt about it. I'm kind of curious to know with regards to like the, the writing responsibilities, how was that approached? 
first and how, how do you guys uh, handle that? Well, you know, I'm very selfish about it because I've always identified two parts of writing. Um, it's really a 50-50 deal. But the first part is the glorious daydreaming part of it, just lying around for hours, just daydreaming what might happen now, what could what be what could be a good twist at this moment uh you know what is how do we darken the mood here you're just lying there on your sofa uh, making stuff up and that is the absolute joy of writing and then of course there's the part that's sort of hard graft like the typing um you know these books are a hundred thousand words long and they've got to be the correct words in the correct order with the correct spelling and you've got to save the file and you've got to send it back and forth and you know receive the page proofs and and check them and all of that kind of thing which i to me that's the boring half of writing so being the elder brother and being incredibly mean and selfish, I'm so, uh, I'm participating in the fun half, and Andrew is doing all the bad half. So really, he's doing three quarters of the work, and I'm doing the happy quarter of the work. Uh, I'm I'm the youngest. I have an older brother too, Andrew. So I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, you know how that feels, then, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so now, and, and Andrew, I'm thinking now with two books under your uh, your belt now, uh, two Reacher books. What what's been your impression so far? Is it uh, harder, easier? Is it uh, what's been your impression so far? Two books in. It's it's uh, well. My first major takeaway is that it's working. You know, which was never guaranteed. Uh, it was a mystery. Would it work or not? Uh, I had no no doubt at all that Andrew has the technical chops to do it, but we are both exceptionally stubborn uh, individuals. <laughs> and I think that if if we had tombstones eventually, it would have a name on it. And then both of us, uh, the second line would be, did not play well with others. And so there was a slight worry on my part that would we be physically able to actually do it? And uh, yes, we can. It's working really well. That is my first takeaway. Technically, what I found most interesting about it is that we sort of compensate for each other's weaknesses in a way. Uh, my weaknesses, I had two in particular that bedeviled me every time that I felt some of the supporting characters were a bit one-dimensional, whereas Andrew naturally produces really plausible three-dimensional characters, be they good or bad. So I think that is a definite bonus for the series. But the other thing I used to do is, uh, you know, I never work with an outline or a plan. It's all uncharted territory. And I always had this kind of fear in the back of my mind that the book is going to be too short. And... Of course, you want pace, you want to race through the book, but when you're writing at a high pace, you're burning through ideas and concepts incredibly quickly. Uh, you know, I remember the last book I did on my own, or one of the last ones I did on my own, uh, it was called The Midnight Line. And I really wanted to understand the psychology of um, wounded and disfigured service people. So I, I went to dinner with, I'd met quite a few. I'd met a lot of limbless veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan through other type of circumstances. And I'd noticed their attitude that um, the guys with, with one artificial leg are obviously uh, traumatized by that, obviously disabled by that. But in a sense, they're almost proud of it. And they have these million-dollar titanium legs that and they inevitably wear shorts because somehow they need it to be acknowledged. It, it can be public. But then there's another raft of wounded veterans that are uh, disfigured and they stay in the shadows. So I went to dinner with, the, with a couple of people who, who knew that world very well. And, and we talked for, uh, I don't know, three hours probably over dinner. And that whole conversation boiled down to about two lines in the book because you've got to have the economy of style. And so I was permanently suffering from this, this fear that the book was going to be too short, which inevitably meant that I knew that there were bad lines in there 
or you know there could be a couple of unnecessary lines in what I'd written and I would not take them out because I was afraid of the length and then when I arrived at the end of the book and it was long enough then I would cheerfully go back and take them out but doing it with Andrew I I proposed those lines and he just says no and that is so efficient you know it means I'm not dithering about for the next several weeks desperately trying to find a reason to save those lines it's just no move on and that has made it uh faster and leaner and uh, as a process it can be hurtful when you know and i do the same to him i just say no that doesn't work you know no no question that is uh is hurtful but it is actually very temporary that you get over it real quick and you realize yeah the book is better because of it we're moving ahead relentlessly and we're getting it right as we go along was that your feeling as well andrew with uh, now with the t- with two books in what's your uh, take on it yeah i mean that was that's certainly true and it was completely unforeseen um but I think it's just a product of the fact that we are both, you know, we're very focused people. We are absolutely clear about what it is we're trying to do. And that is to produce the best book we can possibly produce. And that takes takes priority over everything else, you know. Um, I would rather have my feelings hurt a couple of dozen times and then come up with a book that we can be really proud of than... Um, you know, either wind up with a book that is less good or take longer getting to the finishing line because Lee's worried about hurting my feelings. You know what I mean? It's much more important. You know, doing it right is more important than anything else. I think we both feel the same about that. So we can, you know, we, we just put everything into, into doing it as well as we can. But then, um, you know, I also had to learn about what it's like to work with Lee's technique because, you know, Lee famously doesn't outline. Everything is an instinctive, intuitive, organic decision. And ultimately, once you get the hang of it, and I think it's really what it boils down to is kind of trusting your subconscious to take you in the right direction. When Once you, once you can get enough confidence to do that, it works really, really well. But at the beginning, when we were working on the first one together, um, I was constantly wishing that I knew what was going to happen next. You know, I, I, I was sort of, you know, I wanted that safety net in case I slipped off the tightrope. And, um, you know, it took me a while to really, truly believe that I didn't need it, that we would reach the other side, you, you know, even without it. And actually, we'd reach the other side in better shape because you have to be more confident and you have to be more direct if you really believe believe you're going to make it across without needing that that tightrope sorry without needing that that safety net of an outline lying below you in case you fell so andrew when you in your solar projects that you're working on on your own uh, before uh, the reacher books were you, were you an outliner and a plotter or I was I was never um, I was never a hardcore outliner. I've never I've never worked that way. You know how some people will kind of outline every passage of every scene of every chapter, and I've never I've never worked that way. But I did always like to have some kind of sense of where I was going. I used to think of it. Have you ever heard it described as the kind of driving through fog method? You know, you 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 know where you're leaving from. You know where you want to arrive. But at any given time, you can only see as far as the headlights cut through the, the fog in front. So I, I always like the headlights on in that, in that fog. You know, with the way it's like driving through it with the headlights off. <laughs> you just have to trust that you're going to somehow instinctively stay on the road. And so that took a little, a little adjusting. I think the books, I did three books about a detective in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and the thing I had going in those books was I always had three storylines that were intertwined. And I ha- I wanted just from a stylistic point of view to make sure that you never had the same stories, the same one of the three strands mentioned in uh, consecutive chapters. <clears throat> I always want them. I wanted to go, you know, ABC, ABC, ABC. So I had to do a little bit more pre-planning with those books simply to keep the the structure straight because otherwise there was a danger that you know I'd have used up strand A and I still had a lot of B left and then you know I hadn't even started on C so I had to make sure that that they were evenly distributed so those three I say I'd say were the ones I I, I did um, plan the most and then the other ones it varied more more or less I guess my early books were probably the ones that I wrote in the most similar way because then I really did just have a concept for 
what I wanted the book to, you know, vaguely be about, and then just write the story as it as it occurred to me. And I'm kind of curious to you with your like we've mentioned you you're, you're famous for like not really knowing what the story is when you start to write on September first. Uh, have you ever had like a false start or a, where like a story wasn't taking off? And I never have. I mean, I've had uh, I've had I've never I have this absolute horror of. Uh, of throwing stuff away. <laughs> I mean, I remember once having a conversation, I was having lunch with Dennis Lahane, I think, and he was talking about his, his work in progress. And uh, he said he got to 34,000 words and realized it was going nowhere. And he scrapped them all and started over. And I, I would have prefer to hang myself than <laughs> uh, scrap 34,000 words. So I've as a sort of defensive mechanism, I guess, I've become really good at spotting if it's going nowhere. Uh, and sure, I'll sometimes start a sentence and get four or five words into it and realize now that's going nowhere. So I'll delete four or five words and start over, but nothing more than that. Um, because it just doesn't happen that way for me. You know, I, I just start out somewhere interesting. I throw in a lot of incidents and a lot of mystery and so on at the beginning. And I just have real fun with it. And sometimes I've got no idea what, what, what it's going to be about, if it's going to be about anything. Uh, you know, his character shows up and I, I enjoy him for a few pages. Will he come back? Will he be significant? I've got no idea. But then I somehow get to about halfway through, and then I usually look back, reread it as a whole, and think, okay, this is what you got. This is what you've got to work with in the second half of the book. And so then it becomes a question of taking what you've got and, and, and completing it, which I think gives it a – people say, you know, these books are tightly plotted and they're slick and everything. Um actually not according to my intention that they look that way because it's almost an optical illusion um you know suppose that you spilled some ink on a piece of paper you just get a, a rather shapeless blob and but then suppose you put a mirror at, at the end of that blob so that the blob is itself reflected then you've got this coherent symmetrical shape and that's really what happens to the book, because in the second half, I'm using what I did in the first half. So it, it looks planned. It looks symmetrical, but it never really was in the first place. And many times I've got, gotten toward the end of the book and still got really no idea of what it's about. You know, what is the issue here? Uh, but it always works out in the end. And uh, it gives me a real laugh when people say, oh, I had it figured out in 50 pages. I'm like, really? I didn't. <laughs> but I think, I think the real key to that is the fact that, um, you know, you're so um, kind of rigorous and disciplined when it comes to that halfway point because, you know, you, you have worked that way through the book. You've got it's, – it's like those cooking shows, you know, where somebody stacks the fridge with, with ingredients and you then have to take those ingredients and make something out of them. You know, what you have always done, I've noticed, is – you've been very honest about what is there. You haven't looked at what's there and thought, oh dear, this isn't very good. I wish I could get rid of this piece, get rid of that piece, and then bring in these other pieces instead, because then it will be easier to tie everything up and bring it to a conclusion. You've always been very honest about saying, well, this is what's here, and this is what I'm going to work with. And it's leads into that old cliche, you know, that when you paint yourself into a corner, that's when you have to do your best writing. So that, that is, you know, the way that everything always comes together and ties up neatly. And perhaps, you know, the conclusions that, that arise aren't ones that people have ever foreseen. It's because you're forced into that because you won't go back and cheat and you won't go back and change things so that you have, a, have an easier ride, really. I would think. And what do you guys use to write your books? Do you use like just like a word or some other writing program or or handwriting? <laughs> I did the first one in, in handwriting. Yeah, uh, that because I didn't own a computer. This was uh, toward the end of 1994. I was starting to write that book, and um, a, a few nerds and geeks that I knew had computers at that point, and uh, I didn't and because I'm not that sort of person, but I am uh, a terrible hobbyist. You know, I'm 
get the gear type of person. Uh, you know, like when my daughter was born and I wanted to have photographs of her, I bought a camera and I bought lenses and it, it became a thing about buying stuff. And I really did not want to do that for the first book. This was a job. It had to pay for itself. I had to emphasize that to myself. So I did it in pencil and uh, I borrowed a laptop in order to um, prepare the draft for submission. And then when I got paid for it, then I bought a computer. So um yeah, and I used many, many years. The, the early program was called Windows Write, mm. uh, which was a very simple little word processor, which was fine for novels. It's all, all you would ever need. But then I wanted an iPod, and back when you could only use that on Apple, I had to buy a Mac computer. And so then I had to use uh, Microsoft Word, yeah, which is about, I mean, it's the industry standard. It's, it's what everybody uses. It is way overcomplicated for writing a novel. So uh, I switch off most of the stuff. Uh, you know, I don't want to see all that busy nonsense around me. I certainly do not want the machine checking my spelling or grammar. Uh, you know, do me a favor. I'll, I'll tell it what is correct and what isn't rather than the other way around. But uh, yeah, so Microsoft Word is just like the default program for everybody now. And then uh, when you guys are, are exchanging back and forth in your writing, so you're like uh, emailing your, each other like uh, chapters or is that how? Yeah, it doesn't have to be a whole chapter. It's just whatever whatever part we're working on, you know, it might be a fight scene. It might be a district, descriptive passage about whatever town reaches in, you know, it could be something that he's, he's mulling over. So it's just whatever seems like a, um, a logical chunk that, of, of text that um, makes sense to focus on. So I really enjoyed with uh, reading uh, uh, Better Off Dead. Got an advanced copy from the publisher, so it's, so I was I had a chance to read it, and um, it's it's so great. And uh, Richard's heading out west. Uh, kind of curious about the whole idea with uh, uh, he gets stuck in the uh, by the Mexican border in Arizona, and the uh, whole uh, chemical weapons uh, plot. How did all that come into place uh, without giving too many spoilers away? <laughs> Well, it, it it was absolutely typical of, of how I used to work, and therefore, uh, you know, I was so happy that Andrew is is uh, happy to do it the same way. Where he is, um, it always follows on from whatever the feel of it is that that we're conceptualizing. You know, the mood or the feel uh, for a for a composer, it would they decide the key you know the key is very critical to the 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 piece and for a writer the the mood the feel is is the equivalent and that slowly filters through and then what actually happens depends on what we're interested in at the time you know it's not like we start with a completely empty head and th and think all right what is going to be what can we find to write the book about it's it's the reverse really over the past several years many years we we either together or separately would have been following some kind of story or some piece of science or some something that's interesting that's there in our minds and it's it's really that that demands to be written so in this case yeah you know there's been a lot of stuff about uh, chemical weapons and um, nuclear weapons and uh, depleted uranium casing for shells and all that. That's been, we've been thinking about that for 20 years, you know, ever since Iraq and Afghanistan. And so it just sort of mysteriously came together. Yeah, this is going to be, we're going to do this thing about bomb making and, and, and danger uh, because we'd been reading about it. We'd been thinking about it for years. And that somehow then dictates where, uh, you know, where would be plausible for that. And the glorious thing about Reacher is he's not tied down. You know, he's not a policeman in New York. He's not a private detective in Chicago. He can be anywhere by definition. So it's perfectly natural to have him show up any place. And it just evolves. Uh, you know, this story couldn't really work anywhere else. If we'd set it anywhere else, it would have to be a different story. It's just a, a, a sort of organic 
coherent process that uh, the feel uh, of the book and the issue in the book will always somehow dictate where and how, even what the weather's like, you know, the, the feel of the book will dictate, is it hot or cold? So it, it's very much an organic process. Yeah, I really like how Jack Creature just wants to go see the ocean. <laughs> exactly. That's that's one of the things I love about him too. He just, yeah. you know, in, in some ways he's so analytical and 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 so thoughtful, but then in other ways he just goes on a complete whim. You know, I like books like Make Me, where he just was intrigued by the name of the town. You know, things like that, where it, it'll just be something that that you know anybody can experience. Anybody can see a town name somewhere and think, "Oh, that sounds strange." Or you know, anybody can think, "Oh, yeah, I just I just fancy seeing the ocean. That's where I'm going to go." So I like the you know that's one of those things that kind of connects Richard to the to the, the reader. I think. Yeah, I think that's something. That so much fun like uh, i can't remember the the book but where he sees the 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 medal of a soldier that's in a pawn shop and that kind of it's just uh anybody can imagine that you know like well what happened why did she what, what happened here yeah and yeah. that's definitely the appeal absolutely on every level just because we've all i think uh felt well yeah i'd like to do that well richard actually goes and does it uh, so it's wish fulfillment on that level. But then also, of course, along the way, he's discovering these injustices or these unfair situations uh, or uh, people, victims being bullied. And he does something about it, which is also wish fulfillment for the reader because the reader wants to do that in their real life. Of course they do. I mean, if you went out right now and saw some guy slap his girlfriend on the street or something you would you'd want to say wait a minute pal but you might not because you are uh you know we're all to some extent inhibited or incapable or there's all kinds of legal ramifications and there's you know a million things that stop you from doing it but you wanted to do it and the appeal of Reacher is you can be absolutely sure he's going to do it. If Reacher walks down the street and somebody slaps his girlfriend, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that's like, yeah, it's like that living uh, vicariously through, uh, through Reacher. <laughs> I was wondering too now, I uh, just wanted to ask because uh, I know that the Jack Reacher series is being now developed on Amazon Prime. Any updates on that? How involved are you in that at all? I've tried to be more involved than, the, uh, than I was with the movies. And... Um, so, but of course, the pandemic didn't help that either because, first of all, we had to move the shooting location because of uh, local conditions and uh, up to Canada. And then, of course, it was difficult to get in and out of the US and in and out of Canada. So I was less physically involved than I wanted to be. But, uh, you know, they're great people. I always select based on the people. Um, you know, the money comes afterward. I choose the people and then it's up to my film agent to do the deal. But it's all about choose the right people and uh, let them get on with it. And so the first season is completed. It, it, it wrapped in July. Uh, it's in post-production now. I've seen um, almost finished versions of most of it. And it is fantastic. It is magnificent. It is uh it's one of those things that very poignant for me because it's based on Killing Floor, the first book. And I well remember sitting, writing in pencil, uh, all, all those scenes about a made up town called Margrave in the state of Georgia, uh, supposed to be an hour or so south of Atlanta. And uh, so I was just sitting there making it up in pencil. And they had to build the entire town. They built the town on a back lot. And, you know, to, to see the, the, the vague imaginings of one writer is translated into massive hard work for hundreds and hundreds of technicians, including building an entire town. Uh, it, it was just magnificent. Yeah, so I, I'm really enthusiastic about it. I can't wait for other people to see it. And um, I'm not sure exactly when it will air, but it will probably be very early in the new year. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, the Amazon did a good job with the Michael Connelly's Bosch series. So I'm excited to see uh, see, see Reacher on there. <laughs> yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, Michael is a great example of how to do things right in this business that he, um, you know, he was heavily involved in, in the Bosch series 
to its huge benefit, I think. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the other thing about writers. We all talk to each other. So, you know, if any proposition comes in or any deal is offered, uh, you know, naturally, I call Michael and I say, so, you know, seriously, what is the story? Uh, what is it like working with these people? And we do that for everything. Your podcast, you know, will have said, called somebody who's been on it and said, is this, is this guy worth it? And they say, yes, so here we are. So, you know, it's a very kind of, uh, it's a collaborative business in that way. And, and there's a lot of information kicking around and there's enough information, in fact, to make great decisions. And I really think that Amazon Prime decision is a great one. It's really working out well. Uh, so what's next for Reacher? Well, you know, we started it, you know, as, as is the tradition, we started on September 1st. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, we can't say too much about it. We've got the the first part is is almost finished because they always like to have that to put into the paperback of the previous one. And um, you know, timescales in publishing are such that um, you know, even though the hardcover comes out in, um, in in a couple of weeks, they're they're already thinking ahead to what happens when the paperback comes out. So the first part is is almost ready, but uh, you know, we're kind of you know, under under threat of death, not to breathe, not to breathe too much about, about what, where Reacher is or what he's doing. Yeah, plus we wouldn't know anyway. We, we could tell you how far we got now, but the rest of the story is as yet undiscovered. But uh, yeah, the uh, you know this thing about you know they want to have the jacket design, they want to have the excerpt in the in in last year's paperback and all of that is it only adds to the pressure. The most hilarious thing is when you open your email and Amazon has emailed you a, a thing saying, yeah, there's a new Reacher book coming up next October. Do you want to pre-order it? And I'm like, we haven't written it yet. <laughs> oh, that's going to be kind of surreal. You see the sales already coming through. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Writing it. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I know you guys are super busy. Uh, I'm not going to take any more of your time here, but um, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, and Better Off Dead was uh, fantastic. I really enjoyed it as I enjoyed the, those Reacher books. So thank you so much to you both. No problem. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thanks for your time. We really enjoyed it. I hope we can do it again soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ne yeah, for the next one. <laughs> absolutely. Count us in. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode uh, see you next time and stay safe out there <laughs>